Good morning. Welcome to Gunlock Baptist Church. Um, we are thankful that you're here. And uh, just want to go through a few announcements as we get started this morning. Um, one announcement that we have is this Thursday, there's the uh, PRC um, banquet at Rootful Road. And we have a table, and there are still two seats available at that table. So if you're interested in, in going to that PRC banquet fundraiser, um, you can see Jenny Googe, and uh, she will get you connected there. We still have two seats available at our table. So um, if you're interested in that, please let us know. Um, another announcement that we have is next Sunday we'll have deacons meeting and conference. Um, that'll be next Sunday evening. Also a few announcements regarding children and student activities. Next Sunday, right after church, um, our, or, I mean, our children are going to Old McDermott's Farm. Um, uh, they open next weekend. So if you have a child, uh, fifth grade and under, who's interested in going to Old McDermott's Farm, what we're going to do is we're going to eat lunch right after church. Um, we'll provide food, and then we'll all drive over separately to the farm. Um, it's $14 per person. Um, the church will pay for the kids if the adult who comes will pay for themselves. So if you'll let me know if you want to go, um, we'll get a, a number of people signed up just so we have an idea of of how much uh, food and stuff we need, but that's for any kids next week. So if you think you're going to want to go to that, come see me um, after the service and uh, just so we can kind of get a number for that. Um, also, coming up soon in October, we're having a student fall retreat um, to Rockridge, um, October 14th through the 16th. That's the second um, weekend of everybody's fall break. So anybody 6th through the 12th grade who's interested in that, that's just going to be a weekend for our students to kind of get away from the hustle of school and all the different things going on and kind of reset for the rest of the semester. Um, and so we need to get people signed up for that. So if you're a student, 6th through 12th grade, um, there'll be a sign-up sheet in the back if you're interested in that. Um, the cost is $50 per student. That's for two nights and all the meals and everything. So um, if you have any questions about that, you can see me. But to kind of help offset the cost of that, on October 2nd, we're going to have a spaghetti luncheon fundraiser. Um, to help raise money for kids who can't pay to go um, on the fall retreat. So uh, make plans to join us October 2nd right after, lunch, or right after church for lunch. Um, you can even take a plate to go if you want to do that. Um, but that'll help kind of offset the cost for our students who want to go on that fall retreat. Um, and then finally, coming up in October is our fall festival. Um, it is October 30th. And so we're going to have donations for candy. We're going to have sign-ups for, for uh, doing games and trunks and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, we always need as much help as possible for that. So if you have any questions about that, you can see me. And uh, we will start putting that together because it will be here very quickly. So um, all that said, if you have any questions, please see me. And uh, we, will, we will answer those the best we can. Uh, but as we get started uh, with our worship this morning, I'm going to ask Jeff Rude if he'll come forward and he's going to read our call to worship. Good morning. So I'm going to be reading 2 Corinthians, starting chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, and the title of mine is a a thorn in the flesh, and I probably this last week, Crystal can tell you all about having a thorn in her, her flesh, so uh, I'd be real careful with this when I can get in trouble, but anyway, Paul's writing to us, 
a lot of good information in these, in these three verses. So starting with verse number seven, and because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. So he's talking about pride right there. You know, basically, I, when I read this, I kind of thought like my mom used to tell us, you're getting a little too big for your britches. So I think that's what God's saying. God's kind of keeping Paul reeled back in a little bit. So what Paul, when Paul goes out and preaches and starts churches, that the people are focused on the word, not on, not on Paul. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that I might depart from me. When just like Jesus, Jesus prayed three times in the garden to be taken away, and God said, no, I'm sorry, ain't going to do it. And the same thing here for Paul. So I'm pretty sure Paul just finally gave up and said, you know, this is something God's put on me, uh, something we need to learn in life. Sometimes God puts things on us. We can pray and pray and pray, but it's still there. So there's a reason for that. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses than the, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So basically what Paul's saying is it's okay to be weak, all right? Paul never tells us what this thorn in the flesh is, and I think the reason why Paul didn't mention it, Paul didn't want pity or sympathy from, from everybody that he was preaching to. So God's grace, and that's what, that's what I live on. We all live here on God's grace. It's good for grace, sufficient in salvation. It's good. Grace covers good for our sins, even service in the church. If you're doing something small, just the smallest thing that you do for the church, God's grace is covering all that. So just like I said, I, I rely more on God's grace. I don't understand how I can sin 50 times a day, uh, probably more than that. But yet, God, for, God forgives me of those sins. So it's grace that we rely on. And like I said, like Paul said right here, my grace is sufficient for you. So we rely on that throughout the week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as I just mentioned, uh, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you reel me back in when I need reel back when I need reel back in, and just help me fight that that spirit of pride that sometimes we get that we're better than what we really think we are, Lord. And, that's not a good witness to a fallen world. Just thank you for, for your love, which is, I can't understand it, but thank you that you love me. You love me so much that, that you gave your son on the cross to die for my sins. And thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for what you went through. Thank you that you spent three and a half years walking around trying to teach people the right way, teach us about our sins, teach us about the right way to live. And the pain and the suffering that you bore before the cross and during the cross, but most importantly, you took on the whole wrath of God, which is what we deserve. And I, I thank you for that. I thank you for the Holy Spirit. You sent the Holy Spirit before you left. You said, I'm not going to leave you alone. So you sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. The Holy Spirit, I need you to sit on my shoulder and, 
and point me in the right direction. Thank you we have a church that we can come and, and worship and praise you. Thank you for Pastor Neil. Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit speaks to him through in the message today. Lift up Catherine as she brings the music. And Lord, we just pray that we not only sing the words, but look at the words and listen to the words. And just go with us this week and lead us, guide us, and direct us in all your ways. I just thank you and praise you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, Mr. Jeff did a great job of kind of introducing our theme for the morning. We're going to begin worship with singing Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
be seated. song together. We're going to sing What a Friend We Have in Jesus.
that song, God. Lord, we just take it to you in prayer now, God. Lord, every prayer request in this building, every need um, and every life, God. Lord, the desires of our hearts, the troubles and burdens um, in our daily trials, God. Lord, we bring them all to you in prayer, God. And just lay them down in, on our altar, God, and know that um, ultimately, God, sometimes you put us in situations so that we can just be a tool of grace. Because ultimately, um, we're only here because of your grace, God. So, Lord, this week, may we be reminded of that grace. Um, and may we take advantage of each opportunity we have to show grace and mercy to others, God. To just shine the love of Christ. Lord, as we open up your word in Luke, I pray um, that you just speak specifically to each one of us this morning, Lord. May we hear um, what you have had us hear this morning, Lord. Um, and just lay it on our hearts, God that your word may find a lodging place in our hearts. We just love you and praise you, um, and thank you for being a God who walks alongside us, God. Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, as our children leave for children's ministry, thank you again, adults who help in that very important aspect of the life of our church. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 verse 31. Through verse 38 and we'll read a little later in the chapter to show you some of the rest of the story. Today we will see how God's grace is sufficient. God's grace truly is sufficient, but before we can learn the sufficiency of God's grace, we must be confronted with our insufficiency, our inadequacy. That's something that most of us fear exposure of, is how inadequate and weak and insufficient we are left to ourselves. I want to thank Rush for that song. Peter would have agreed with the first line of that song. I thought number one would surely be me. Right? There's evidence in the New Testament that Peter thought that about himself. Peter could relate to that song very well. In fact, it's been said of Simon Peter that he had all the makings of a bully. He had all the makings of a bully and would have become a religious bully had this circumstance that we're about to read not have happened. So let's pick up with Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Now, a few weeks ago, before homecoming, which was outstanding and such a blessing, by the way, to have Michael Creed here and all that we had last Sunday. If you'll remember in Luke 22, where we left off, the disciples were arguing about who was number one. Who is number one? So they were arguing and debating. And there was jealousy and selfish ambition creeping in. And Jesus knows in advance what's about to unfold, both in his own life and in the life of his disciples. So let's read verse 31 in context as a corrective addressed to all of them, but specifically to Simon Peter. So Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Simon, Simon, and I will interject, why are you arguing about how great you are? 
Simon, Simon. Because, look at verse 31 again, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. What a friend we have in Jesus. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, once you've turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. Well, this is all shocking to Peter's ego. So he says to him, Lord, with you I am ready. I'm ready. With you I am ready to go to both prison and to death. Jesus, this can't be true. I would, I would die for you. I would go to prison for you. And isn't it interesting that those two realities eventually happen? But after Peter learned some very important lessons. So in verse 34, he said to Peter, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. You'll die for me? You'll go to prison for me? Peter, those are bold claims that you are not ready to make. In fact, today, before the cock crows three times, you will, you will fail me. You will deny me. Peter doesn't know himself very well, does he? So in verse 35, he says to them, Jesus continues the teaching. He says, when I sent you out, Without a purse and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, we lack nothing. Jesus said to them, but now, let him who has a purse take it along. If you've got a bag, let him who has no sword sell his robe and buy one. Or excuse me, I read that wrong. Likewise, also a bag. And let the one who has no sword sell his robe, and everybody's going to need a sword. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he quotes from Isaiah 53. And he was numbered with transgressors, for that which refers to me has its fulfillment. Jesus is saying, everything that has been written about me, including me being numbered with the transgressors, is on the verge in this very moment. It's about to be fulfilled. And so the disciples look around at one another and say, look, here's two swords. And Jesus says to them, it is enough. It is enough. So I want to go ahead and read more, picking up in verse 54. So fast forward in your Bibles to verse 54 because I want us to see the rest of the story and the actual three denials of Peter that take place just a little later. I'm thinking we're going to cover that this morning. I don't know for sure. If not, we'll catch it in a couple of weeks. So in Luke 22:54, after having arrested Jesus, they led him away and they brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. 
and a certain servant girl. She wouldn't seem to be very intimidating, would she? A certain servant girl. Seeing Peter as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Peter sounds as if he's adamantly denying Jesus, and he is. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. But doesn't that sound familiar? That sounds like a phrase that we use when we're trying to cover up with a lie our own failures and our own, our own inadequacies. One of, the, one of the instincts that we have is to first say, I don't know what you're talking about. Let me buy a little time and come up with something else, right? There's Peter. And immediately while he was still speaking, a cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, before a cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter, he went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. May we take it into our hearts and minds so that we can apply out in daily life and in this moment the sufficiency of your Grace. Your grace truly is enough to cover our sins, to be sufficient in our weakness and inadequacies, to send us out to strengthen others. But first, Lord, we have to humble ourselves and learn of how desperately we need your grace. Teach us that through Peter and this word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Peter's up at the plate. And he has first strike one, then strike two, and then strike three. And he is absolutely humiliated and crushed under the weight of his own sin, his own inadequacy, his own cowardice. He has failed Jesus in a way that he never imagined that he could. He realizes the inadequacy of himself, but that's one of the best things that has ever happened to Peter. One of the worst things to ever happen became one of the best things to ever happen. What a nightmare for Peter, though, in the midst of it. Because it's going to take the resurrection of Jesus early Sunday morning to end the nightmare of his insufficiency, his guilt, and his inadequacy. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, when is this nightmare going to be over? Hey, I can relate. I had a nightmare just a couple of nights ago about all of you. <laughs> Let me explain. Friday night, I must have been sleeping really, really hard. And my underlying fears and insecurity must have been there with me during the night. Because I was in a Sunday morning service here at Glenlock, and just a few minutes before I was set to preach with the time and the clock, which would, I guess, be maybe a quarter before 11, I slipped out of service to go get one of my sons a hamburger. 
And my wife can relate because I'm sure I was thinking, oh, it'll just be five minutes and I'll come right back. But for whatever reason, after I bought the hamburger, I, never, I could never find my truck. And in my nightmare, I looked and I looked and I looked and I kept watching my, 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 my phone. What, what time? I, I'm not going to make it back. I began getting texts from some of you. Bryson, are you coming back, Neil? <laughs> Tracy, where are you? Everybody's waiting. Howard Scarborough, I got a text from him in my nightmare. And I never made it back to preach the sermon in that dream. And I felt like such a failure. These people have had it with me. They finally discovered who I really am, someone who can't keep it all together. And then I woke up and I said, I'm so thankful that that wasn't real. I'm going to be ready come Sunday morning. So I'm happy to be preaching today. And this is something that, you know, obviously I must have insecurities about. So let's get beyond my fantasy world in my mind and let's get back to reality here. I think all of us need to learn the sufficiency of God's grace and Peter must have been top on that list of people who needed to know it. So this is a wonderful passage and there's so much here that's so interesting um, and, and, and I'm not going to cover it all. I really want you to own your own personally this week. Dig into this passage and study it because I'm just going to hit the high points of, of what I think are the things that I need to communicate during our time together. But there is a lot here about God's grace and how Jesus deals with sinners and what is ultimately important in life and in discipleship. So let me just cut to the chase. He is enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack, I shall not lack anything that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. My grace is sufficient for you. But like Peter, sometimes we feel so self-assured and so self-righteous, and we are so self-absorbed that we don't yet think that we're one of the people who desperately needs the grace of God, and we're wrong. If you know that it is only by grace that God can save you, the, the second most important thing to know is that you desperately require that more than you could ever imagine, but He has provided so let's look first at one of the qualities of God's grace that you and I need to factor into our daily thinking and our daily lives is that, number one, God's grace is sovereign. God's grace is sovereign. Now, we've got to live with the awareness that there's a battle going on that's a lot bigger than you and a lot bigger than me. And this is found in several places in the Scripture but here's one of those places. Isn't that an interesting phrase in verse 31? Simon, Simon, behold, you think you're one of the greatest? What I'm going to tell you is that Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now he addresses Peter individually, but the you there is plural. 
of the disciples are going to be sifted. All of them are going to go through trials and temptations and difficulty. One, one person put it like this. Satan is seeking to shake you disciples violently as one sifts wheat and to cause you to fail. Satan is seeking to shake you disciples violently as one sifts wheat and his goal is to cause you to fail. A couple of images came to my mind. This shaking violently, take a rug that's been on your floor for weeks, months, years, <laughs> shake it, and what comes out? All the junk, all the nastiness. And Satan, but I want to go back, that's, that's the imagery that I got, but, but an all-out blitz is coming from the enemy. An all-out blitz is coming from the enemy upon Jesus and the disciples to sift them so that they will fail Jesus and be separated like wheat and chaff from Christ, from themselves, and from each other. I may elaborate on that a little bit later. But the first thing I'm kind of hung up on is this whole idea of Satan had to ask permission. What is indicated by the truth is Satan had to go to God and ask permission to do any of this. Well, that tells us something very important. And it's very simple. We say it a lot. God is in ultimate control. We've got several places in Scripture that indicate that there's a world going on outside of our physical momentary world that, that's spiritual, that's eternal, that's beyond and, and over and above us and our understanding that God's ways are not our ways and His ways are higher than our ways. Consider Job. Did you know that God brought up with Satan his servant Job and God gave Satan permission to sift and test and work in Job's life. That God was ultimately in control of that. That all that Job went through, Satan was on God's leash the whole time. And where Satan meant it for evil, because he hated Job and wanted to expose Job as a fraud, God meant it for good because God knew that Job would not curse him but that Job would eventually be discovered and revealed as a righteous man, Job was on this cosmic battle plane that he wasn't even aware of. That's why Jeff read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. A messenger from Satan to buffet Paul, and he prayed three times that God would take it away, but God let left it there to, to keep Paul humble and dependent on God's grace. This is strange. How do we wrestle with this? How do we make sense of this? But we've got to come to terms with the fact that this is beyond us. The battle is bigger. And, and God ultimately is control. 
in control and his grace is in control. And so you and I at some point have to come into that and under that and take comfort and encouragement from the fact that no matter what he allows Satan to do, he's only going to give Satan enough rope to hang himself. And he's going to somehow use Sable's evil purposes for his good divine purposes. We're talking now about the providence of God. Johnny Erickson made a statement one time that I try to come back to when I come to passages like this. And it's not going to explain everything, but it'll explain a lot. She went through a lot, if you know her story. And she said this, Ten words have set the course of my life. God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. God is willing to permit what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Tim Keller said this, God allows Satan only enough room to accomplish the very opposite of what he wanted to accomplish. And that's what ends up happening in the life of Peter. Satan is wanting to sift Peter like wheat, to separate Peter from Jesus, to separate Peter from God's purpose for Peter, and to separate Peter from all the other disciples. I mean, that's what failure and humility, humiliation is tempted to do. To wreck and destroy our relationship with God's self and others. That's what sin does. Satan meant evil by this, but God used it for good. So Satan sifted for one reason. God sifts for another reason. Let's think about some of the reasons God permitted the sifting. To separate Peter from his pride, his self-dependency, his self-absorption. To cultivate in Peter the same things he wants to cultivate in me and you. Humility, dependency, selflessness, empathy. God's desire for this sifting, because of his providence and sovereignty, was to ultimately make Peter more one with him more in intimacy and likeness with him, and to make him holy. So obviously God has a greater goal for Peter's life than comfort and security in the moment. Stress-free life? That's not going to happen through this process of sifting, is it? Somebody mailed me a book. It was for pastors, and it was from some organization, and the title of it was How to Live a Stress-Free Life. And that book sat on my desk for several weeks. And then I hid it from myself because that book itself was starting to stress me out. (laughs) That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is holiness and oneness and likeness. And God is willing to sift us for this to happen. It's interesting, too, that he mentions... Uh, he calls Peter by, by his old name, Simon. Simon, Simon, you're reverting back to your old behaviors. Your natural fallen instincts. A.W. Tozer said this, It's doubtful that God can use a person greatly until he hurts them deeply. This hurts, but it's for his good. Swindoll, another, I'm just drawing on 
quotes that I've heard from other guys in reference to this type of sifting. When God has an impossible task, he will take an impossible person and crush them. God's willing to crush us. You ever been crushed, humiliated, broken? Strike three and you're walking back to the dugout and you can't believe what a failure and how inadequate and how disappointing. Trust God's sovereign grace. Let this phrase sink into your minds and hearts. Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And Jesus grants that request. All right, then the second quality of grace, and again, I've got to touch on these. The second one's so important, God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace is that through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend on Jesus. I've learned to trust his word. Here's the game changer. Here's the factor that, that, that changes the whole thing. But I have prayed for you. It's emphatic. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So he doesn't say, Peter, you've got such a wonderful prayer life and you're doing so well with your Bible reading that, that you're going to make it through. That's not what he says. He says, I have prayed for you. Jesus is our helper. He's our advocate. He's our mediator. He is our wonderful helper who comes alongside to comfort us. And he is our sustainer. He is our Lord. Look at this wonderful provision offered by the grace of Christ and interceded by, from, the, from the grace of Christ that your faith may not fail. Well, that troubles me a little bit because didn't Peter fail? I mean, what a coward. He denied three times that he even knew Jesus. No, Peter's faith did not ultimately fail because the object of his faith never failed. My faith is only as good as the object of my faith. Jesus never fails him. Jesus sustains him. What a helper. Our great need is an advocate before God. And so in the face of our adversary and through this trial that Peter goes through, Jesus is perfectly sufficient and adequate for this need. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. If you want encouragement, go and see how often Jesus prays for you. Go read John chapter 17. Read the rest of the New Testament where our helper intercedes on our behalf. Read Romans 8. Even when we don't know what to pray for, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. It's going to take a miracle for people like me and you to be sustained until the very end. Well, God is sufficient for that miracle of grace. I want to pause right now and ask for us all to pray for our friend Richard Hunter. A couple of weeks ago, you know Nancy and Richard. Richard has a farm down near Glen, and it's way in the southwest corner of her county. There's not good cell reception down there. You don't move down there for the internet connection that you might get in the outskirts of Glen, okay? Well, Richard had an accident in the shop, and his leg has been injured. Nothing was broken, but I do want us to pray that God would continue to work in his life because he's still having issues with his leg. 
He's had some strep that he's dealing with, so I'm letting you know about a prayer request while I'm kind of making a point in the sermon. Got a picture a couple of days after his accident. He went to Tanner, eventually got taken there and back home. And, and Nancy sent me and Bonnie and someone else a picture of Richard's text for help. So he's on his shop floor, he's injured his leg, and he sends out a text for help. That's all it said. It's all he could type. But right up under that, it said, not delivered. He had texted everybody that he could think of. But what happened? The text didn't go through. As I reflected on that and thought about that, I thought to myself, so many times in my life and your life, we have sent up a cry for help. And let's just say, in the providence of God and the sovereignty of God, that cry for help has always, it's always gone through. Now, the response from God might not have been at the moment the response that you wanted, a la Paul's request about the thorn in his life, but it always goes through. But I, I had another thought that's even, to me, more incredible than that. He knows in advance what is going to happen in my life, and he has prayed for me in advance without my even being aware of it. The Holy Spirit will intercede for us even when we don't ask for help. Now, you and I are called to ask for help. We are called to confess our need. We are called to confess our sin. But his sustaining grace is so powerful that in advance, he's already gone ahead of us and provided what we need in order to rescue us and sustain us. It is grace that has brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. God is going to sustain you if you are in Christ, if you are his disciple. Peter denied Jesus, but he did not ultimately fail. He turned back. He repented. Peter's faith was true. His perseverance was true. And in time, his repentance revealed the sincerity of his faith and also the sustaining grace of his Savior. We might compare Peter and Judas. Jesus said, Peter, when you turn. So what was Jesus aware of? Peter's ultimate turning back in his repentance. Peter's was a true repentance. Peter was crushed and wept bitterly. Judas did not weep. Judas knew he had done wrong. He regretted his mistake, but his remorse did not drive him to repentance. His sense of unatoned guilt only drove him further away from God. Turning back to Jesus, even our repentance, is because of the sustaining grace of Jesus Christ. Two more comments, then we close. God's grace is also sending grace. In other words, it's never just for us. It's to send us into the lives of other people. And I get this from that statement. When you return, strengthen your brethren. When you return, you will strengthen others. So one of the reasons for the sifting, one of the reasons for the denials, one of the reasons for the failures is the fact that he will one day, through the resurrection and restoration of Christ, do what he says in John 21. Feed my sheep. 
Peter, being forgiven much, will love much, and he will become a great strengthening power for the church. In Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection, he is going to preach the gospel before thousands, and many are going to be saved. How did he go from a coward before a servant girl to boldness and courage before even the enemies of Rome? Well, Christ in his grace and his resurrection sent Peter into life and into the world to be the rock for the church. What did Peter learn from all this? Go read 1 Peter. Go read 2 Peter. Read the book of Acts. Peter was strengthened to strengthen the church. He is a great strength for you and me. So God is going to graciously work in our lives. He's going to allow us to fail. He's going to restore us. He's going to strengthen us so that we will have the empathy and the love and the confidence that's reliant on him and not ourselves to be able to be a great strength to others. The strength of God is stronger than any of the world, the flesh, and the devil and all its resources. So are you strengthening your brothers? Or are you allowing God to use your failures, your trials, your twists, your turns to make a difference in the life of the church? That's one of the things His grace does. A lot of you know Dan Dockery, our associational missionary, is retiring after 20-some-odd years leading our association. I got on the phone with Dan. I said, Dan, it's going to feel weird not having you around. A new leader's coming in. Haven't personally met him, but he seems like a great guy. He sent me, hey, I'm praying for you this morning type messages. Sounds pretty good to me. I said, Dan, what are you going to do in your retirement? He says, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. And what is that? I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to spend time alone with the Lord. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to take a walk. And in my retirement years, I'm going to ask God what he has for me today. Dan knows what it's like to receive God's grace and to give God's grace to strengthen others. And that's why God works in our lives for his glory and our good and the good of other people as he allows different types of sifting to come our way. Let me close with this because there's a point here I've got to draw out and it is the good news of what Jesus did for us. If you look at verse 37. Now I want to point out that when they count the swords and Jesus said that's enough, I, my title has really been a play on words about the fact that he says, when I sent you out, I provided everything you need, right? Now that the heat's being turned up and we're all going to face Rome and the enemies. To a, to a greater degree and this all-out blitz is coming, you better be spiritually alert and you've got to be on high alert and ready to face the enemy. And they look around and they say, wait, we got two swords. He says, that's enough. Enough of that conversation. You guys still don't get it. You remember as a child, parents, grandparents, you're talking in the back of the car about nonsense. And they're driving, they turn and say, that's enough, okay? That's enough. You don't get it. That's what he's saying to these, to these disciples. That that's enough. You're not going to get it yet. You're going to get it in time when you feel it and you experience it. 
But what he says here that I think is pointing to saving grace is he says that he will be numbered with the transgressors. Why was Jesus counted as a criminal? What are your thoughts about criminals? You walk into the post office and you see those wanted signs that are in there. What are your thoughts about those people? Well, they've, they've broken the law. You might would say, golly, what failures. They failed their family, they failed society, they failed themselves. You might would think that. But before you go too deep with that type of thought, read Isaiah 53. Jesus, in order to rescue and save me, was counted as a lawbreaker. He was counted as a criminal. He was numbered with the transgressors. And as Jesus was dying on the cross, the people that were there were saying things like, that's a curse. Anyone who dies on a tree is a cursed person. What a failure. The Romans thought anyone who died on a cross was a loser. What I'm saying is that Jesus himself was sifted like wheat on the cross. He was separated, he was broken, he was torn, he was counted as inadequate and weak and an absolute failure, someone who would not love God, someone who would not love their neighbor. He was counted as a criminal so that you and I could be saved and forgiven and counted as righteous, never separated, always adequate, counted as law keepers, People who could be changed to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus became inadequate, and he became weak, and he became broken, and he was counted as a failure so that you and I never would be and would always have his sufficient grace available to us. God was going to complete the project in Peter's life because God was going to complete the promise he made through the Messiah to crush the head of the enemy. To crush the head of Satan. And that's what transforms Peter from this weak, broken, inadequate disciple to the rock that he was. It was the fact that Jesus was counted as a criminal and a trespasser and an evildoer for us so that we might be saved. you got to keep coming back to that because that's the source of all the other aspects of his grace. And you might say about this sermon this morning, that is enough. <laughs> and you know what? It truly is enough if you and I will believe it and apply it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your words, your truths are more than enough to encourage and convict and sustain and work. What a marvelous story is the example that Peter's life is. And Lord, I truly believe that Peter was singled out as an example, that this happened to all of them, and, and this in, in, on some level happens to all of us. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and grace. And I pray that it would lead me and us to a deeper sense of gratitude to a more sincere worship and love and empathy for other sinners like us. 
that we would see all our failures and all our detours as, as doorways to grace, as avenues of growth. May you continue to sift our lives, taking out what is evil and wrong and replacing it with what is spiritual and good and true. And I know that'll be the process that we go through the rest of our discipleship until we see Jesus and become like him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing about the adequacy that he has every hour that we need. You come as we sing. constant need of his grace and of the grace he provides to one another so I'm grateful that all of you are here this morning and the grace we feel when we gather together in worship uh, don't forget the things that Bryson mentioned earlier in announcements this evening our students our children our choir practice five o'clock and adults will meet at six hey soccer started yesterday really good game one we got about 55 or so children involved in soccer so I encourage you to pray for that ministry uh, if you want to come and just see, pass out water, greet people, welcome people. Um, takes place down at Glenlock Field. Game number two is next Saturday. So we appreciate your prayers, your love, and support that makes ministries like that possible uh, here at Glenlock. You guys have, and ladies, have a blessed week. Uh, Catherine, would you? Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. 
have a fabulous week.